0: My Bible is opened up to 1 Kings chapter 21. We're going to begin our study there in just a moment. 1 Kings chapter 21. If you have your Bible, please open it up there as we will begin our study there in just a moment. 1 Kings chapter 21. It has been a great day, a great morning to be together as the people of God and to have visitors here with us as well. May God bless you. We gather here each first day of the week and come together as a family to worship our Father in spirit and truth. If you have any Bible questions, we'd love to study the Word of God with you. Let me know or let someone else know after services, and we'd be more than happy to set up a Bible study with you. Hope and pray that all is well, and we're going to continue to study from the Word of God. If you have your Bible open to 1 Kings chapter 21, we are reminded in this chapter about a terrible king and we are reminded about not only this terrible king but his wife who was also terrible. Uh, We read about King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. I want to begin by sharing this story here with you because it's going to lead us into some of the thoughts that I want to share with you this morning. In 1 Kings chapter 21 beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, Now it came about after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jez- Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard that I may have it for a vegetable garden because it is close beside my house. And I'll give you a better vineyard than it that it in its place. If you like, I will give you the price of it in money. So the king sees this man named Naboth in his vineyard, and he's trying to strike a deal with him. I'd like to have this piece of property that you currently own. I'll take care of you if you give me this piece of property uh, so I can just have it, okay? And I'll even give you money for it as well. But Naboth, in verse 3, said to Ahab, The Lord forbid me that I should give you the inheritance of my father. So Ahab says no, or Naboth says, no, I'm not going to give this to you. Uh, this was, this is an inheritance of my father's. And so in verse 4, we find this king, Ahab, he came into his house sullen and vexed because of the word which Naboth, the Jezreelite, had spoken to him. As I was talking to Nikki about this, I can just imagine Ahab walking back into his house, almost like a little kid, right, jumping on the bed, complaining, and all upset because he wasn't able to get what he what he wanted. So his and verse uh, verse four says, so Ahab came into his house, sullen and vexed, because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he said, "I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers." And he lay down on his bed and turned his face, uh, and turned away his face and ate no food. So he he's complaining. He's he's pouting. He's acting like a little child. And verse 5, his wife comes comes to see him. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your, your spirit is so sullen that you're not eating food? Honey, wh- what's going on? What's wrong? What happened today? And so she's trying to figure out what's wrong with her husband. So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Doesn't this sound like a couple of kids on the playground, and one is upset because the other one didn't get the ball or didn't share the ball or something like that? He's complaining to his wife, I, I didn't get what I wanted. I really wanted that vineyard, and I didn't get it. So what's a wife supposed to do when her husband is in this kind of situation? Well, this is an example not to follow if you are a wife, okay? In verse 7, Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent letters to the elders and to the nobles who were living with Naboth in his city. Now she wrote in the letter saying, proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people and seat two worthless men before him and let them testify against him saying, you cursed God and the king. You see what she's doing? She's setting up this poor man. She's going to arrange everything so her husband can get what he wanted, that piece of land. He's gonna, she's going to arrange this whole situation so the men are going to, to lie about this innocent man Naboth. In verse 10, she told the two worthless men before him and let them testify against him, saying, You curse God and the king, then take him out and stone him to death. So the men of his city, the elders and the nobles who lived in his city, did as Jezebel has sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters which she had sent them. They proclaimed a fast. And seated Naboth at the head of the people. Then the two worthless men came in and sat before him. And the worthless men testified against him. Even against Naboth before the people saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent word to Jezebel saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, so here it is, full circle. Honey, I, I, got, I got exactly what you wanted. I got you that piece of land. She said to her husband, arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Does that story make you upset? Does that story make you mad? Where someone has clearly been taken advantage of, and an innocent life is lost because of, of this man and what he desired, what he wanted so badly, what he coveted, and his wife was willing to do anything for him. We can learn a lot as we think about Nabal or I'm sorry, Ahab and Jezebel. In particular, and you think about Ahab and the kind of heart that this man demonstrated in this one example here, there's lots of things that we can say, can't we? We can say and see very clearly, number one, he didn't really love people that much. There's a lack of love there. He's willing to allow all this to take place. He's not satisfied with what he already has. He doesn't love Naboth or his life at all. I think you could also say there's pride that's in his heart as well. He was determined to to get whatever he desired, and his wife was going to help him out along with that, and certainly covetousness, and I think we could also add to that discontentment. He's the king. You're the king. And so how much more do you actually want? This man has this piece of land here, and because you don't have what he has, your whole world now has been rocked. This This man Ahab, had many different heart problems. And one of the biggest ones was discontentment. He wasn't content with what he had. He wanted something that someone else had. He and his wife would go to any length to get it. And while this story may be an extreme example, I think it's a great reminder for us about a terrible heart condition. You could say a couple of things with this, right, with pride and covetousness. And I think you'd also add to that discontentment. He's the king, and he already has what he, what, he, what he has as a king. I think about contentment and discontentment. People who are discontent are people who are ungrateful, and certainly Ahab was a man who was ungrateful. And discontentment is a great tool of the devil. It is a great tool of the devil. And while we may not have lied and killed like Naboth and his wife, have we ever struggled with, with covetousness? Have we ever struggled with discontentment, not being satisfied, and, and and really challenged with this with this kind of heart that we are to have? This morning I want to focus again on the idea of being content. In our study this morning at nine o'clock, we looked at Proverbs chapter 30, uh, and we did a lesson from leeches and how we can learn some things from leeches. This morning, I want to talk a little bit more about this idea of, of being content. In Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to reference some passages that we looked at already. I want to go back and remember in Philippians chapter 4, we learned that the Apostle Paul said that that he had learned to be content in every circumstance. And I think that's something powerful for us as we think about who we are in Jesus Christ, that in every circumstance, we are to learn to be content. The apostle Paul, as we talked about earlier, was in prison, was behind cell, a prison cell as he wrote these words. He said in verse 11, "Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need." I think Paul is one of the best examples of, of how it is possible for us to be content. That as God's people, this is who we are called to be. This is what we are to be. We are to be people who are content and content in every circumstance. As we think about this idea of contentment, this is something that is reminded or, or taught throughout the word of God. Paul here helps us to see this idea that we are to be content. Go back and look at 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 again. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, as Paul was writing to the saints here or writing to Timothy, he reminded Timothy about this idea of contentment and what he was to teach as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6, 7, and 8, Paul reminded Timothy about this idea of contentment as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6, the Bible says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain. When accompanied by contentment, for we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. And I know and I believe we all know that Paul believed these words to be true. That he had learned to be content in every circumstance. We know the different situations and challenges that Paul experienced all throughout his life. Paul knew how to get along in humble means, and he knew how to get along even in times of prosperity, how to be content. And I think what Paul helps us to see here is that it is possible, whether in in humble means or in during moments of prosperity, that we can still be people who are content in Jesus Christ. Now, as we think about this concept of being content and what Paul has to say here, it doesn't mean that one should never try to improve their situation in life. I think even when you look at the example of Paul, we see that wasn't the case. Yes, Paul learned to be content in whatever situation that he was in, but it didn't necessarily mean that Paul was indifferent or lazy or unconcerned about a variety of situations that he found himself in. A couple of examples of this to demonstrate this. Look back in in Acts chapter 9, please, in verse number 23 through 25, right after or or at least in the context here in Acts chapter 9, after Paul was converted, we find that opposition would arise against him. In Acts chapter 9 and verse number 23, the Bible says, When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall lowering him. In a large basket. And so, yes, Paul understood what it meant to be content, uh, but it didn't mean that he wasn't trying to improve his situation or, in this situation here, trying to protect his life. In Acts chapter 18, we find Paul in Acts 18 and verses 1 and 2 for a period of time working with Priscilla and Aquila. In Acts chapter 18 and verse number 1, Uh, It says, after these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And so Paul understood this idea of of having these provisions and, and doing the things that he could do even over in 1 Timothy chapter 5, will you turn back there please? In First Timothy chapter 5, we know that Timothy had some kind of a physical ailment and Paul is going to give him some instructions about that as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 in verse number 23, Paul said this, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And so I'm just sharing these passages with you because Paul, yes, he was content in every circumstance, and yet there's balance there that it wasn't the idea that he was indifferent or not indifferent or lazy or unconcerned about a variety of situations that were taking place. In fact, even in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 21, in First Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 21, Paul said this, he said, were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it, but if you are able also to become free, rather do that. And so Paul, yes, he was content in every circumstance, but it did not mean that he wasn't trying to, at times, to improve the situation in his life. What we can take away from this is that, that Paul was trusting in God. Paul trusted in God no matter the circumstance. He trusted in God no matter the circumstance, and he did not allow that circumstance to make him discontent and dissatisfied with God. I think a couple of thoughts can be said. It's been said with respect to contentment that it's not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of how much you already have. And I like that quote there. It's not the fulfillment of what you want, but the realization of how much you already have. As we think about contentment, it's about finding the satisfaction and rest in our souls in Jesus Christ. And being productive and joyful in Christ, independent of one's physical possessions. And that helps me out to understand this idea of contentment. And the idea of one's sufficiency with what one already has. And so Paul understood this idea of being content. And this is something that the saints were to were to be. This is something that they were reminded of over and over again. And Hebrews chapter 10 is another example of that. When you turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, this is actually leading up to the example that I want to share with you. In Hebrews chapter 10, remember the Hebrew writer was writing to Christians who had endured affliction and they had lost property plundering of their possessions in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 32. The Bible says, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. Imagine experiencing that, the seizure of your property. Knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. That gives us some context about what some of these Christians had experienced. I also believe it really drives home this point even more, what Paul says in chapter 13. You remember what he said there? We looked at that earlier this morning. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5 and verse number 6, Hebrews 13 verse 5, he said, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content, With what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Paul had this mentality. The Christians in the first century were called to have this mentality as well. So are we. Yet, despite all of this, I think it can be really challenging. We were talking about love in our Bible class in 1 Corinthians 13. What love is, that list that Paul uses and gives to the saints in Corinth as he taught them about love. That can be really challenging. So can this idea of having a heart of contentment. Ahab, he wasn't content with what he had. He wasn't satisfied. He was vexed. He was depressed. He was angry. He wanted more. And I believe that's one of the biggest challenges for us, even in the world that we live in, that in our society today, so often it's all about what do we have and how much more can I obtain? And covetousness is a great danger for the children of God, for the people of God, even back in the Old Testament. God, when he gave the the commandments to to Israel in, in Exodus chapter 20, he warned them about covetousness. He told them, you should not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You see, one can covet a variety of things. Naboth coveted that vineyard. That's what he wanted. And we are warned about that as well in Hebrews chapter 13. I'm reading from the New American translation. The New King James says covetousness. Covetousness is in opposition with contentment. And Jesus warns us, and He warned individuals all throughout His ministry about the dangers that are out there, being on guard against every form of greed. Look over in Luke chapter 12. Jesus helps us to see what is it that really matters the most. As we enter into a new year, many people are focused on so many different areas of their lives, which is good. We need to improve and we need to grow. But we also need to make sure that we are focused on the things that really matter, that we are laying up treasures in heaven, that our mindset is focused on God and who he is. A a man came to Jesus in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware, and he didn't stop there. He said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Our lives are not about our possessions. It's not about how many possessions we have. And there is a warning here that we should take very, very seriously. More, more, give, give. That's what's often being shouted in our world. And when we allow ourselves to become discontent, we can, if not careful, miss out on what really matters. And this example that Jesus is going to use here as he gave... As he gave a parable in verse 16, he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains, grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you're a fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There's danger out there. When it comes to greed and desiring more and going after more and more and more. And we talked about that in, in, our, in our worship service during the 9 o'clock hour. Remember those passages in the book of Proverbs? Better is a little. Can we, can we read those again? Is that okay? Let's go back and I wanted to just look at those again. Remember back in Proverbs chapter 15. There's something powerful about repetition. We see this done quite a bit in the Word of God where we need to hear this over and over again. I need to hear hear this over and over again. In Proverbs 15 and verse number 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord. Now that goes against most of what things are being of what's being promoted in our society. The idea of better is a little, yeah. Sometimes that's true. Better is a little. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure. And turmoil with it. Better is a dish of vegetables where love is. You're better off having that than a fattened ox served with hatred. In chapter 16 and verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. Chapter 17 and verse 1. Remember, he also said better is a dry morsel of quietness with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Having more is not always better. Trying to obtain more and more and more is not always going to equal this happy life that everybody desires. There's danger out there, brothers and sisters. Uh, the danger of being discontent. The danger of covetousness. And being aware of this is something that we must, we must be aware of. It. It's something we have to acknowledge. Jesus said, beware, be on guard. In fact, we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And verses nine, 10 and 11, remember again what Paul said as he talks about this idea of great gain. great gain is going to include godliness accompanied with contentment. He said in verse number seven of First Timothy chapter six, "For we brought nothing into the world so we can take, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. Now listen to this danger as well. but those who want to get rich fall into temptation. And there's a, there's a danger there. And obviously later on in the text he's talking about he's going to talk to people who are already rich. And so it's not necessarily sinful to be rich. We read about many people like that in the word of God. But he is giving us this warning here. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Do you hear anything good in that verse? Going after these things. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, listen to this, have wandered away from the faith. Has that got our attention? Wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know people like that? pierce themselves with many griefs. Going after more and more and more sometimes can often come with a great price. If not careful, it can even cause some to wander away from the faith. And, and so we need to be aware of this. This is one of the biggest challenges I think we face because this is what we typically see, at least for some or many people in our society. But this is a reminder for us as Christian Christians, the idea to be content in whatever state we may be, find ourselves. And it's not necessarily just with possessions to be aware of when it comes to being content. I, I think about us even in the body of Christ and the roles that we play, we need to, we need to be content. Now, we need to grow, right? Christians grow, Second Peter 3 and verse 18. So we should always be striving to improve in our spiritual walk with God. I'm not talking about not growing or anything like that, but, but being content. I think about diotrephes in Third John how Diotrephes is this man who wanted the preeminence, he wanted the prestige, he wanted to rule everything in that congregation. Well, Diotrephes had it all wrong. And one of the things that I love about our One Another class, we've been looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and how we see that All the members are important, just like every part of the body is important. We're all important, and we all have a role to play. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 16, remember what Paul said there here, that all of us play a very important role. And whatever that role may be, we need to be content in that. And we need to grow, and we need to give that glory to God and put the spotlight on Him. It's never about us. But there's a danger if not careful where we can lose track of who it's really all about, Paul reminded the saints in Ephesians 4 and verse 16, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part. So we all got to do our part. No matter what that part may be, we all have to do our part. And as we all do our part, things are going to continue to work out well. Causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Be content. Be content. Be content with our possessions, and even when it comes to the work that we may find ourselves doing, even in the body of Christ. And yet, that can be challenging sometimes, because we can lose sight or miss sight on what is most important and where our focus really should be. Be content in every circumstance, not just a catchy holiday card or motivational thought. It's who we're supposed to be. Now, how do we do it? Let's wrap it up with this, all right? How do we do it, all right? The call for us is to be content. Let's talk about how we can do that. Let me give you six things to, to write down, to think about, to ponder as we strive to learn to be content and some big, big, big things to, uh, to consider. Number one, uh, think about your birth and your future death. One day we're obviously all going to die, but think about your birth and, and when you will die one day. And the reason why I say that is because of what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter six. He said, for we brought nothing into the world so we can take we cannot take anything out of it either. We came into the world with nothing, and one day we're not going to be able to take all, any of the possessions that we have. And that's something I think that's a good starting place to think about, that we were born and uh, and, and we're going to die in the same manner. We're not going to have all these possessions with us. And so we can't become so attached to all the things that we have and lose sight of trying to get more and more and more that can cause us to 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 miss out on who we are in Christ and what he wants for us in our lives. Number two, as we think about how we go about doing this, keep your mind focused on God. We need to keep our minds focused on God. I have to do this. You have to do this as well. Paul said, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. You think about the rich man in, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is trying to get him to understand something. That's why he's telling him to be aware to be on guard because our lives are not just about the abundance of possessions that man or from that story we can learn something Jesus is helping us to see where our minds need to be that our minds need to be laying up treasures in heaven that it is indeed possible for us to be content godliness our minds should be focused upon God God-oriented, our minds should be uh, uh, focused on Him and what He desires for us in our lives. If our focus are on things above, that's going to help us to even more appreciate who we are and what we have and helping us to become content. Remember, when you were born and what's going to happen when you die, you're not going to be able to take anything. Keep your mind focused on God. That's how you can be content. Know who you are in Christ. Know who you are in the body of Christ. Everybody in the body is important. We all play a role to play. That's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that we have all of these members and we're working together as one. Diotrephes failed to realize this, and he failed to realize that all have a role to play. We've got to make sure that we don't fail to miss this understanding as well. As we think about how we can go about being content, let me share something else with you as well. Focus on what you do have. That's a great place to start as well. What is it that you actually do have? I think about Ahab in the Old Testament. Ah, Ahab already had a lot. Ahab was the king. But his focus was so much on that vineyard. I got to have that. I don't have that. Let's focus on what we do have. We have so much. Would you agree with that? And I think we can say that both physically and obviously we can say that spiritually as well. We have forgiveness of sins. We have this fellowship with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. We have things in Christ that cannot be stolen, cannot be burned down, cannot be washed away. We have tons of physical possessions as well. I mean, we really do. Focus on what you have and enjoy what you have. Focus on that. And that's a way I think we can learn to be content. Number five, I think, is connected with this as well. As we think about learning to be content, stop looking at other people. Stop looking at what everybody else has. But that's challenging, isn't it? Because in our age, in our society, that's what, that's what so many people are already doing. Facebook, and I know I don't probably have too much to say with respect to Facebook with my history, Uh, with getting on, getting off, getting on, all that kind of stuff. But when you think about Facebook and Instagram, isn't it so easy to almost become discontent? Have you ever felt that way? Man, look at where they went. Look at them. Look at that family. Look at what they have. We live in a world where there's a lot of comparing. They have this, I don't have that. But we need to stop looking at what others have and really appreciate what we have. Ahab was looking at that vineyard. I don't have that. He does, and I want it. I'm going to do whatever I can to get it. There's danger with that. Focus on what you have. We can become discontent with our spouse. We can become discontent with our house. We can become discontent with so much, but we need to stop looking at other people. Maybe that's one of the biggest things we can do. Stop trying to look at what everybody else has and comparing yourself, me comparing myself to everybody else, and start looking to God. Start counting the things you actually have. Focus on his purpose, his will, his work. And that will help us to learn to be content. And finally, how about we do this? How about we pray about it? How about we pray to God about this this idea, this concept of being content? It's a process. It's something we have to continue to work at. And uh, there's a great passage in the Old Testament, again, in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7, 8, and 9, that may give us some direction with some of the things that we talk to God about in Proverbs 30, and verse 7, 8, and 9, where the Bible says, Two things I asked of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. I love what he says next. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I I not be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? I, I think that's a pretty good balance there, right? Give me neither poverty nor riches. This is something we certainly should be praying to God. And as I think about this, think about the prayers that we say to God. We are to make our requests known to him. But think about this as well. Maybe we should have more prayers of thanksgiving and appreciation of what he's already done. Now, I'm not saying you can't ask him for anything. I'm not saying that. But I am saying maybe our prayers, maybe we need to look at our prayers individually and ask, how much am I actually thanking God for what he's already provided for me, for the family that I have? for the house that I have, for the possessions that I have, for the relationship, the fellowship that I have with him through his son, Jesus Christ. I think that will help us to go a long way. Be content. That's who we're supposed to be. In every circumstance, be content. Don't leave here saying, well, we can't do that. Sounds good. Well, yes, we can. In fact, that's who we're supposed to. Be content. That's who we're supposed to be. With Christ, we can do it. In Philippians chapter 4, can we read one more verse there? Then I'm going to wrap this up. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul said in verse number 11 and 12, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I have. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is possible because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, you are rich. I am rich because we are in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Jesus Christ, we want to invite you to, to, to take seriously your soul's salvation and to understand what Jesus Christ has done for you. Listen, worldly pleasures the things of the world you're not going to be satisfied in those things you need jesus you need the forgiveness of sins that you can obtain through him the peace that he can provide redemption grace and eternity that's what everyone truly needs if you're in need of that we love to study with you if you're ready to be saved Now is your opportunity. You can be saved here today. Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. If that's you, come forward now as we stand and as we sing.